In the ancient world, various peoples lit fires to mark the turning of the light, turning off the light into winter's season and to pray for the return of the light. The church has Christianized this practice in the lighting of the Advent wreath. To us, these candles are signs of the growing light of Christ who is coming again in all fullness into the darkness of our world. Until the dawning of that great day, we watch and wait in the Holy Spirit for Christ coming into the darkness of our world, lighting candles of hope, love, joy, and peace, remembering the promises of God with prayer. Watch and wait for Christ's coming. Light candles of hope, love, joy, and peace, remembering the promises of God with prayer. We light this candle of hope. Uh, Let us pray together. Please join me with the bold words in your program. Faithful God, out of death you bring life. Renew us in hope that we may be alert to the burgeoning of Christ's advent among us. God of promise, God of hope, into our darkness come. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." And that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. When Jesus was born in the village of Bethlehem in Judea, Herod was king. During this time, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is the child born to be the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was worried, and so was everyone else in Jerusalem. Herod brought together the chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses and asked them, Where will the Messiah be born? They told him, He will be born in Bethlehem, just as the prophet wrote, Bethlehem in the land of Judea. You are very important among the towns of Judea, for From your town will come a leader who will be like a shepherd for my people Israel. Herod secretly called in the wise men and asked them when they had first seen the star. He told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, let me know. I also want to go and worship him. The wise men listened to what the king said and they left. 
And the star they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They were thrilled and excited to see the star. When the men went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they knelt down and worshipped him. They took out their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and gave them to him. Later they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and they went back home by another road. After the wise men had gone, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, hurry, and take the child and his mother to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is looking for the child and wants to kill him. That night, Joseph got up and took his wife and the child to Egypt, where they stayed until Herod died. So the Lord's promise came true, just as the prophet had said, I called my son out of Egypt. When Herod found out that the wise men from the east had tricked him, he was very angry. He gave orders for his men to kill all the boys who lived in or near Bethlehem and were two years old and younger. This was based on what he had learned from the wise men. So the Lord's promise came true, just as the prophet Jeremiah had said. In Ramah, a voice was heard, crying and weeping loudly. Rachel was mourning for her child, and she refused to be comforted, because they were dead. After King Herod died, an angel from the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph while he was still in Egypt. The angel said, get up and take the child and his mother back to Israel. The people who wanted to kill him are now dead. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning again. Welcome to First Free. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name is Matt. serve as the pastor here. And as we give uh, some of those parents a time to come back, um, I'll just say I, I really love Advent. It really is my favorite season of the year. Um, I love the lighting of candles. I love sort of living in that period of expectation and of waiting, of, of anticipation. I love that um, we're on, what, day, day three of December. My son started a, one of the chocolate Advent calendars uh, on Friday, and the past two mornings I've been gone, and he's so excited about it, he asks my wife to text a picture of him holding the shape of the chocolate uh, each morning. Yesterday it was a little drum, and today it was a cupcake. So I love it. It's my favorite season. It's fantastic. Um, and I also love Christmas as well. Um, seeing all the lights. I think that Andersonville does a really good job. If you drive down Clark, they have all the, the street posts lit up. Uh, it's really quite beautiful. I think that my favorite is Lady Gregory's right around the corner. They just drape up the windows really beautifully. Very classic. They got gold. and It's, it's very nice looking. Um, I love Christmas. I love eggnog. But... Uh, to be quite honest, you know what's even better? Is coquito. Coquito. Okay? Now, uh, when it comes to high-fat dairy cocktails, the Puerto Ricans just do it better. Okay? If you know, you know. You've got to get yourself some coquito this year. And uh, <laughs> coquito is where it's at. I also love big chunky sweaters that I get to wear at this time of year, which hide what the coquito does to my body, hide what the cookies do. Christmas is fantastic. And then you got mistletoe. Hmm? 
right? I mean, who doesn't love Christmas? I love it. It makes me want to break out in song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling, I started too low, and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap, happiest season of all. Until it's not. Until it isn't. Until it isn't the most wonderful time of the year. Then what? It's not the most wonderful time of year if you're far away from home and from your family right now, perhaps. It's not the most wonderful time of the year if you're close to your home. But it's maybe not the most welcoming or safe place to be at this year. It's not the most wonderful time of the year if you can't afford presents for the kids. It's not the most wonderful time of the year if you're grieving. Which, let's be honest, in this community right here, there are a lot of people who are grieving this year. I'm one of those. It's not the most wonderful time of the year if you're lonely. Right? Christmas, the holiday season, can just kind of compound the anxiety, the loneliness. If things aren't good, it's like the, good, the not goodness is magnified. Right? It feels even worse around the holidays. So for some, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. For others, it is. And I don't want to take away from that wonder. That's great. But for some, it isn't. And if that's you, then perhaps you don't want everyone telling you, be of good cheer, like the song says. I love Christmas, but I propose a change to the lyrics, just one word, and just for today. It's the most vulnerable time of the year. Christmas, after all, is about birth. It's about birth. And is there anything more vulnerable than birth? At the heart of Advent, at the heart of Christmas, it's a story about birth. The story of a human life coming into the world like all human life comes into the world. And, and most of us, my, myself included, have become at least a bit numb to the mystery, the wonder, and the terror of that story. Let's retell the story a little bit. First, Mary could have said no. When the angel appear, appeared to Mary... Uh, Mary wasn't coerced or forced to respond as she did. She wasn't forced to comply. She had agency. At that time in history, about one in every 50 pregnancies ended with maternal death in childbirth. One in 50. And she would have been aware of this. 
She could have said no. She wasn't married yet. I mean, what if Mary's parents would have forced her to eat some herbs when they knew she was pregnant? These herbs back then would have been the closest thing to a plan B pill that we have today. Or what if her parents decided to disown her? It's not a good look, pregnant at her age, unmarried. Or what if Joseph wouldn't have listened to the angel and instead he leaves her all alone? What if she had said no to God's request? But even in that vulnerability, this is how God comes to us. She says yes. But then there's the reality of that long and perilous process of getting from conception to birth. There's a reason people still don't tell of their pregnancies until after the first trimester. The risk of miscarriage is real, and some in this room know that very personally. So many tiny lives don't make it for whatever reason. Yet God signed himself up for coming into the world like that. He came into even that possibility. He opened himself up to that kind of pain, to death itself, even in the womb. And God could opt out of this whole thing, you know. He could have showed up in the world however he wanted. He could have came in power. He could have been like a a Marvel superhero on some spaceship with six-pack abs. But the love of God is love that says, I will go with this through you. I could opt out of your suffering. But I choose to enter in. I choose to share it. All of it. A conservative estimate of child mortality in the ancient Roman world puts that mortality rate at about 50% for the child. About every other. 50% of children. And um, I was trying to read scholarship to not just kind of, you know, give out numbers for, for shock factor and Even though the the estimates of infant mortality vary, most historians agree that child loss was common enough in antiquity to be an expectation rather than a surprise. That's the consensus. An expectation rather than a surprise. Yet this is when God is birthed. Why then? Why not wait until modern medicine? At least in the West, those statistics are drastically improved. But God comes to us as one of us. He shows up in the world just like we do. And I wonder, is there anything more vulnerable than birth? Well, not only does God choose to be birthed in a normal way, like all of us are, in a time where there's not modern medicine. But Jesus was born during the reign of Herod. That's what we read about today. Jesus comes to us during this time where the ruler of the land is this very, very small man named Herod. And Herod, when you read about him in the scriptures and in other writers in that time period, 
He's a man who had no room for vulnerability. The moment he felt like his power was being threatened, he acted to squash out whatever was threatening him. And we read about that in the story today. He hears that this baby might be the prophesied Messiah of Israel. And he's threatened by this little baby who may grow up however many years later, to be someone who threatens his power. So what does Herod do? He sends these magi to go find this baby. And he tells the magi, go find the baby so that I can worship him too. And the magi find the baby, they go, they worship this baby Jesus, and they have a dream where they're told, don't go back to Herod. And so they listen to this dream, they don't go back. Then Joseph has this dream where an angel of the Lord comes. And it says, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they know and they leave. They go to Egypt. And here's what happens next. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Why then? Why be born in that time under a leader who ruled in that way? With so much risk. With so much Vulnerability. The scriptures want to make it as plain as day that Jesus comes to us in vulnerability. The vulnerability of being born in a time of government decreed infanticide. Yeah, the story of the first Christmas is a story of extreme vulnerability. The family, Joseph, Mary and the little baby have to leave and travel with a newborn to some other country. Why? Why is God willing to be so vulnerable to us? Why is God willing to come into this world through the statistical risk of childbearing? Why is God willing to be attached to a placenta for nourishing and life by his own creation? Why is God willing to wait and grow slowly in a human womb? Why take the risk? Because any real connection requires vulnerability. Scott Erickson says in Honest Advent, any real connection involves vulnerability. Whether in marriage or friendship or even with a stranger, a relationship can progress only so far along the normal platitudes of strength and accomplishment. It is only when we have exhausted our tales of trophy winning, when we let down our guards and speak to the truths about our travels, that we find that where we really connect as humans is in the places where we walk with a limp. He says, even in our work, 
We all want to attend the conference and hear the one in our same field who built a successful and thriving business. But if in the telling of that Genesis story there is no struggle, no hardship, no doubt, no failing in trying again, then we won't believe it. Because to attempt to create anything in this world is to take a risk. All creating is an expression of vulnerability. Any real connection involves vulnerability. Why is God so vulnerable with us? Because the depth of the vulnerability opens the way to the depth of connection. Some people might object. Pastor Matt, there couldn't have been all this risk involved in Jesus' birth. He's the son of God, after all. It may have seemed risky, but Jesus was never really vulnerable. I mean, Jesus couldn't have been vulnerable to death, right? Well, spoiler alert, Jesus was absolutely vulnerable to death. And in fact, that's what happened. No, he didn't die in utero, but Jesus was vulnerable in his birth and in his life, which led to the death of a young man in his early 30s. The word vulnerable derives from a Greek or a Latin noun that means wound. It means wound. And so uh, to be vulnerable is to be open to attack or critique. Uh, to be open to physical or emotional wounding. Jesus is the supreme example of this, both in his birth, in his entering into life, and in his death, in his giving away of his life. Remember, when, when Peter picks up the sword, slices off the guard's ear, and Jesus says, no, no, no. He probably could have got away. I don't know how many people there were coming to get him, but Peter was not the greatest with the sword. He got the ear, not the head. But the point is, he maybe could have got away. He certainly could have called on angels to just take care of the whole ordeal. But Jesus gives it away, opens himself up to the supreme wound, even of death. Brene Brown the sort of contemporary queen of vulnerability, she defines it as the willingness to show up and be seen when you have zero control of the outcome. When you have zero control of the outcome. In her research, she's asked tens of thousands of people to give examples of when they've felt uh, vulnerable. And these are a few of those examples I want to share. Uh, these are examples when they felt vulnerable. One, uh, sitting with a partner through chemotherapy. And that, that one lands heavy on me. I can remember at this time last year, uh, sitting with my mom through her first round of chemotherapy. The, the, another one, uh, the first date after my divorce. Someone said, talking about issues of race with my team. Uh, someone said, initiating sex. Someone said, starting my own business. 
Someone said, watching my child leave for college. Uh, Being the first one to say, I love you. Uh, Talking about my feelings. Someone said, sending my son to orchestra practice, knowing how badly he wants to make first chair, and knowing there's a really good chance he will not make the orchestra at all. As a parent, that feels very vulnerable. Putting them in that situation without being able to control it. Or waiting for the doctor to call back. Uh, Getting back up to bat after striking out. Giving and getting feedback. So I'm put trying to get pregnant after my second miscarriage. And I'll end there because it's kind of on our theme of birth. Everything around birth is quite vulnerable if we think about it. Especially and particularly for the woman. Sex itself, conception, possibility of miscarriage, changes in her body, morning sickness, food aversions, cravings, weight gain, and then there's labor with no control over these strong contractions in your body. Whether you want to or not, the child is coming. One midwife describes birth uh, like this. Don't worry, it's not... There's not, it's not, not very super descriptive, but she says, birth is primal. The sounds, the movements, the experience. It's a place of true courage as the mother has no place to hide. This act of vulnerability can be extremely daunting for many, especially if there's been a history of abuse, body image issues, or just having a shy personality. A birthing mother is emotionally and physically exposed, raw and facing uncertainty. There's some images, if you take the time to look around, that may feel a bit raw and exposed in this space. They may even feel a bit strange for a church to you. Um, But our hope is that in honestly approaching Advent, we meet the God who shows up in the very real, honest places of our lives. God comes to us in the world in one of the most vulnerable acts possible because our God is a God of relationship, of connection, of intimacy, of nearness. This is why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. Again, Scott Erickson says, Any real connection involves vulnerability because it takes the act of making oneself open, which is always risky, to be truly known. God came to us, he says, floating in embryonic fluid, slowly forming and taking shape, embedded in the uterine wall of a Middle Eastern teenage woman. A God who's willing to be this vulnerable is a God willing to open up to deeply connect to us. To even risk rejection. And even risk death. The real question, says Scott, 
is, are we willing to do the same? In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, uh, St. Paul is talking about what he calls a thorn in his flesh that he was given to keep him from being conceited. And he says this, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, we are connected to the power of Christ. Who defeated death. That's the kind of power we're connected to. But he defeated death by embracing the vulnerability of being human. By taking that as far as it would go. And in there, the power of the Spirit raised him to new life. Vulnerability is not easy. Without the Spirit, we're more likely to squash out our vulnerabilities like Herod. We're more likely to give in to fear. Herod feared for his power. Such a small man. He feared for his power that he used it to kill babies. See, fear of our vulnerabilities leads to death. It leads to an end of things. If you can't be vulnerable in a relationship, it will die. A shell of it may live on. But it won't be a relationship of substance, of joy, of meaning. Any real connection involves vulnerability. Fear of our vulnerabilities leads to death. But courage in the face of vulnerability, now that's real power. That's why Paul says this is where the power of God is. Remember that list from Brene Brown. It requires courage to be the first person to say, I love you. And that's an act of power. Not coercive power. But vulnerable power. To be the first person to say, I'm sorry. It requires courage in marriage to initiate intimacy. It requires courage to talk about your feelings or start your own business or show up to anything at all as you actually are without your guard up. Those places of weakness are actually our places of power in the spirit. And all of this is most true in our relationship with God. So I wonder for you, how would you today, in this moment, describe your ability to show up in vulnerability before God? 
Are your places of weakness your places of connection with him? If you want to go deeper with God, enter through your vulnerabilities, through your weaknesses and wounds. And if you want to go deeper with God in those ways, let me suggest for you uh, a few questions, a few journaling prompts. Now, if you don't have space in your life to journal right now, then, then that's your first priority. Uh, find some space. It's going to, of course, be impossible to have a deep connection with someone you spend no time with, uh, just like any human relationship. So first, I encourage you to carve out, even if it's very, very small for you, very, very small moments of solitude, of time to be alone with just you and God. And if you want to press into your vulnerabilities in those spaces, these are some questions that can help you do that. God, what pulled me away from you today? Simple little prompt. God, what pulled me away from you today? You might ask of yourself, when did I live freely in your love? When did I live as a slave to sin? Another question you could ask yourself is, what relationships did I damage today? That will likely bring up some vulnerabilities. Depending on your personality, uh, one that will probably hit hard, what or who am I trying to control? We see in Herod his extreme attempt at control of a situation that we now see, in hindsight, he had no control over. You might ask, what wounded my heart recently or a long time ago that I haven't dealt with? When we live into our vulnerability, it makes connection possible. Connection with God and connection with others. I want to close by giving uh, a few minutes to reflect on a poem by Lucy Shaw that gets at this truth from a, a beautiful angle, a different angle. It's in your program And I want to invite the band back up. They'll play some instrumental music. And you'll just have a few minutes um, to read this, to meditate on this. And then we'll come to the table of our God.
poem, For him to see me mended, I must see him torn. And we uh, symbolically see him torn every week in the breaking of the bread. Remembering uh, just what it cost for us to be reconnected to God. Heavenly Father, this Advent season we give you thanks for sending us Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, whose life, death, and resurrection have become for us the way. The way to find you, the way to know you, the way to join with you in seeing your new heaven and new earth brought about. We remember the night when Jesus gathered with his friends in a time of vulnerability and fear. And he took bread. And after he thanked God, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. said, take and eat. This is my body. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. Again, God, he gave you thanks. And praise, and he said, Take this, all of you, and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant. My life poured out for you. I will drink this again in the kingdom of God. Share this bread and this cup in memory of me. You can say this with me, it's in your programs. Therefore, we proclaim great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come now, Holy Spirit of God. As you were present at creation, be present now. And let these gifts of bread and cup become for us the bread of life and the cup of blessing. As you were sent by Jesus to accompany us on our journey of faith, Spirit, be present now and transform this community by the sharing of this bread and cup into one body of Christ. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor be yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. At this point, I invite those communion servers to come forward. The way we receive communion here is you'll just head down these center aisles um, as you're ready. You'll be served the, the bread. You'll dip. This side has wine. This side has juice. There's gluten-free crackers. And there's also uh, individually wrapped elements um, for hygiene's sake as well. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, let's feast and worship.
crown of gold a string of pearls and a cashmere robe we thought you'd clinch an iron fist and rain like fire on the politics but without
let us adore. We're going to continue um, in worship uh, through generosity. Um, this church exists because of your financial generosity, and a cheerful, please, a cheerful giver pleases the heart of God. And so on behalf of this community, thank you for financially supporting this church. Um, in your programs, there's a few practical ways that you can give, and there's a corporate prayer that we're going to pray together during this time. So would you pray this with me out loud? Father, you are an abundant giver. There is nothing that we have that you have not given us. The way of your kingdom is the way of generosity. Help us to honor you with our resources. Free us from the deceit of riches. Lead us on the path of generosity. May it be for your glory, for the abundance of our lives, and for the sake of others. Amen. And you all may be seated as Bev comes up to give a few announcements as we close our service this morning.
Welcome, 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 everyone. We greet you uh, in love. And uh, we'd like to especially welcome you if you're new. We see some new faces. We see a lot of very familiar faces. And we'd like you to try something if you're new and you've heard this, but I'll say it for people who haven't. And that's called Stick Six. And that is Stick Around First Free. Stay with us for six visits, or as, uh, as Ryan and I figured out, some people over a thousand or plus, plus, plus visits and actually stay. They're staying. Okay. And uh, stay with us for that. And if, uh, to, you know, to see if you will stay with us. And if not, then try six at another church. Okay. And now. Always like a good morning. <laughs> we pivot and say these are our uh, Advent and Christmas plans, so we'd like you to get involved. And the first is our Christmas extravaganza. And that's going to be Friday, December 15th at 6 p.m. And we'll have our inaugural Christmas extravaganza or extravaganza, as I'm going to, as I'm going to say from here on out. And you don't have to wear a tiara and a tuxedo. You know first free. So dig out your ugly Christmas sweater now or make one. Go home and fix one up. <laughs> and start planning and practicing your Christmas karaoke song, if you like. We won't make you. They won't make you. But it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be fun for the whole family, for the young, the old, for neighbors, for people who would never come into church, whatever. So that's going to be on December 15th at 6 p.m. And this year, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. So instead of our usual Sunday morning worship, that day we will be meeting at 4 p.m. So plan ahead for a sunset service that will be so honoring we feel to God. And uh, New Year's Eve, there will be no worship service on, on New Year's Eve so that our staff and volunteers can have a week of rest, which is a good thing. And then our first service of 2024 will be on January 7th. So we'll be repeating this. But right now, I'd like to bring up Stephanie, Steph Sattler, who will give us an update on Story Feast. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down. I got a lot going on. Christmas, man, my Christmas to-do list. It's, I don't know about you all, but ugh. bake cookies. Oh, got to get this out of the way. What's this? Oh, honest Advent. Buy presents. Got to do that. Decorate tree. Man, hang lights. Did you all hear that? That was weird. Okay. Anyway, back to the list. Watch silly Hallmark movies. Mm, that's kind of my favorite. Drink eggnog, even if you don't like it. Okay. Sing Christmas carols. Oh, I get it. That's you, God, isn't it? Oh, maybe I should add to my list something like, you know, pray and reflect on this Advent season. Or story feast. That would be a good thing to add. Especially because our theme is rest. Can you believe it? It's like all around us, this call to rest. So if you are a woman here at First Free, 
Um, you are welcome to come to this event, which is next Saturday, December 9th at 10 a.m. down in the Fellowship Hall, okay? Our theme is rest. We've got some great storytellers who are talking about how God has called them into the gift that is rest. So if that is something that you, like me, need in this season to be reminded to rest and be reminded of the giftedness that is rest, please come to our event on Saturday, December 9th. And that's it. Thank you, Steph. Thank you, Steph. And I hope to see as many women as there are here, there, and bring a friend. <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, except for um, check, us, check out things on the Hub or get a lovely color copy. And I think that's it. Scan the code in front of you on the Hub. Thank you. Thanks, Bev and Stephanie. Weird that uh, her husband was the voice of God, but, you know, got to work with what you have, I guess. Well, I have a benediction, a blessing, and sending for us all. Um, A reminder, we gather downstairs, we eat some donuts and hang out, have some fellowship. The... um, Devotionals, if you're wondering how to buy them, if you want to buy one that's out there, you could just talk to me. Um, they're $12, which I think is cheaper than you can get them on Amazon. Um, and we don't make any money on them. Okay. You can put your hands in a posture of receiving. <clears throat> in the same way that Christ came into the world, we are sent out into it in vulnerability, in humility in courage and in love but filled with the power of the spirit go in peace to love and serve the lord